0: Our passage this morning is Genesis 17, starting in verses 15. And we'll go through chapter 18, verse 15. Genesis 17, 15 through 18, 15. But would you pray with me this morning as we begin? Father God, we are thankful to be able to gather together we have been reminded to not take that for granted, to uh, to, to remember the joys that there is in being together with each other, of encouraging each other, and of gathering together to worship you, and we're thankful for that this morning. We pray that you would speak to us through your word, that you would challenge us, convict us, and comfort us through your word, that we would... Learn more of your greatness and be changed more to be like you. Thank you that you do hold us fast and that you will continue to hold us fast through everything that we go through in life. And we are thankful for that. And we want to praise you this morning. and We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 17, 15 through 18, 15. And we will read our passage this morning, kind of talk a little bit about the structure, and go from there. So read with me, Genesis 17, starting in verse 15, and the word of the Lord says this, God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said no, but Sarah your wife shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him and as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time. Next year, we'll stop there for now. This this passage is really broken up into into four sections. The first is fifteen through twenty one. There in chapter seventeen, and that is a continuation of the reaffirmation of the promise. You remember last week Abraham had sinned, and what was God going to do next? How would God respond? How would Abraham respond after he sinned? And God came and he admonished him. He told him what he was doing wrong, that he was failing to believe. But he also encouraged him by reaffirming the relationship, that he was hadn't ruined the relationship. And so here in this first section, God continues to reaffirm that by showing him again, reminding him that I've promised you a child and I will give you a child. So he's continuing to reaffirm the promise. And in verses 22 through 27, we see that Abraham then immediately obeys God, and we'll see in chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, that Abraham then receives these honored guests with hospitality and honors the Lord through his hospitality, and then in verses 9 through 15 of chapter 18, we'll see that once again, God is reiterating the promise of the child, the promised child, and this time it focuses on Sarah's response and so that's kind of the thread that connects the whole passage is this this promise of the child and so we'll we'll go through we'll comment on each section and then we'll tie it all together but first we see in these verses we just read in 15 through 21 that Abraham he he hears this promise of the child again and how does he respond he he laughs. Kind of catches us off guard even as we're reading it, because uh, we haven't seen that response to God. But God promises, this is what I'm going to do. I, I, in fact, he said that he's going to do this before, but he's kind of expanding Abraham's understanding of how he's going to do it. And Abraham, he laughs at it. And we can see why. It's He's, he's laughing in disbelief. How can, how can God say he's going to do this. This doesn't make any sense. How can Abraham, who's 100 years old, almost at this point, and Sarah, who is 90, how can they have a child themselves biologically? That doesn't make any sense. And so Abraham, Abraham is just caught off guard and laughs in disbelief. And we can understand how, how Abraham would doubt and why he would Bring Ishmael up. Why? Why can't we just make this work through Ishmael? He's already here. How is this going to work through me? But Abraham, he kind of he kind of feels the need to remind God of how old he is. I don't know if you caught that. How can me? I'm 100. Sarah's 90. He kind of feels like he needs to remind God. This is uh, you remember what you're saying, right? This is who we are. How is this going to work? And sometimes. Uh, we have the same tendency as Abraham, right? We, Abraham has already said he believed God, right? He believed God and God counted it to him as righteousness, that he looked up, he saw the stars in the heaven and he believed that God would make his offspring as numerous as the stars. And yet when God gives him this specific way that he's going to keep this promise, Abraham, he disbelieves the, the method, so to speak, the method is is something that he doesn't quite understand, and so we're kind of like that sometimes too. We uh, we believe the promise that God's final kingdom is going to come, that He is going to bring it, and we'll be a part of that final kingdom. But sometimes the the methods we don't quite understand as much. Um, we think about how it's through God promises, it's through many tribulations that we enter the kingdom of God. He says that in Acts, and that we must be refined like gold through fire. We, we remember that we have to come out the other side. We're, we're ready to be a part of the kingdom. We believe that God's going to make us a part of that kingdom that will be there one day, but sometimes we, we're uh, not as gung-ho about being tried and going through trials to get there. We remember that it's through evangelism, for example, that telling other people the good news that God brings lost sheep into his family. We we love the promise that God will save people, that he's going to bring people into his family, into his family, the lost sheep into his flock, but sometimes we forget that God says he's going to do that through us sharing the gospel with other people, that it's not just some mystical force that God is going to magically reveal this to people. It's going to be through us, most likely. Sometimes we hear those testimonies about how God miraculously saves people. And those are amazing to hear, but usually for us, we can probably point to in our own lives how there was someone who, who talked to us, who shared the gospel with us, told us the good news of Jesus. That's how God is going to Bring about this plan, and it's the same thing individually. As we grow as Christians, sometimes we we all want to be close to God. We all want to know God and have that intimacy with Him. But sometimes we we fall short of living that disciplined life of the spiritual disciplines of intaking the Bible, reading consistently, meditating on it, praying seeking to encourage each other. All of, that, all of that takes work. So these are some examples of how we have the same tendency to, to believe the big promises of God, but sometimes we get caught up with the, with the details of how that's going to come about, and we, we stumble with it. It's a, it's a reminder that God's wisdom seems foolish sometimes. How he's going to bring it about seems foolish sometimes but actually it's God's way that puts to shame the wisdom of the world. Now Paul says that God's plan for saving people, that this is God's plan for saving people, and that's what we see here as God chooses Isaac to be the promised child. And so here we are, and we'll see this more even as Sarah responds later, but in verses 22 through 20. 7, let's read that now. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael his son was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised and all the men of his house those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. And so as God has just come he's just given these reaffirmations of the promise he's told Abraham what to do he's given him the sign of circumcision immediately after God leaves God uh, had told him just told him immediately Abraham goes and he obeys and it's just a reminder to us you know we we say the phrase that obedience means the first time or uh, it's not repeated we say have to say it repeatedly obedience means we obey the first time we obey immediately and we see Abraham doing that here that this is what it means to obey God and Abraham is an example of that This is a good section. We've kind of seen it over and over with Abraham's life. But at some point, we need to stop and think about it. So we're going to do that here. We need to think about the idea of Abraham owning slaves. Because it comes up, it's come up before, and it's come up again. And here is a good place to address it. So we see here that Abraham took Ishmael and those born in his house and bought with his money every male among them of the men of Abram's house, and he circumcised them. And so here again, we see that Abraham was a slave owner. Sometimes we, we read through that, and we just understand that was the culture back then. But it doesn't change the fact of what God has said about it. How We need to think to ourselves, why would God not address this sin with Abraham? Sometimes we ask those questions. We see sins of people in the past. Why, why would God let that continue? What what was, uh, why would God wait so long to eradicate that among his people? And the short answer is, specifically with Abraham, why would God not address that with Abraham? The short answer is, God doesn't give us an answer for why he did it with him. He doesn't tell us directly why it wasn't addressed. But there are some things we can say about it. Throughout the Bible, we see consistently that the Bible, that God's word opposes slavery as blasphemous against God. And I say that because we see from the very beginning God put his image in people, that male and female, Adam and Eve were made in the image of God and everyone since then was made in his image. Even though we are sinful and fallen, James tells us that people still bear that image even though we're fallen. Every single individual still bears that image of God and is has inherent value because of that. And so slavery discounts that, it devalues that image of God in people. And we can look at general ways and how the Bible tells us that slavery is, is a natural bent of the human heart, that this is where, left to our own devices, we will take ourselves, that sin is not just Uh, something that we need to wipe the slate clean and start over, and then everything will be good. No, sin is inherent in humanity, and this is where it leads us. And really, as we see slavery, both in the Bible and throughout history, it gives us a real contrast of what it means to be free in Christ. That's how Paul addresses it, some in the New Testament, that we are no longer slaves to sin, but we are free in Christ. We're set free. And now God is our, is our master. And so we can look at the Bible from beginning to end. And we can see that to be a consistent Christian, to follow what the Bible says, means that we oppose partiality and we love our neighbors as ourselves. And that means one of the, the applications of that is that we oppose slavery. Uh, There are others. It means we don't elevate one person above another. It means we don't show favoritism or seek to do injustice, that anything that shows impartiality is wrong. But we see that here, that God, even though he makes a covenant with Abraham, it's not because of his sin. It's it's in spite of his sin. And really, it, it reminds us that, it reminds us of a couple things. One, it reminds us that God shows Grace to people. That here, you know, in our society today, slavery is one of the worst sins we can imagine, really. Um, and so, someone like that, God is still able to give grace to, He's still able to save. And we think of people like that throughout the Bible. Abraham was a slave owner, David murdered people, Noah got drunk, the list goes on and on those sins aren't overlooked in the Bible, but God was still able to show grace to those people. And so it also reminds us that we shouldn't totally write people off because of their sin, that whenever we find out about someone's sin, we we shouldn't ignore it, but we should continue to see, to look, to realize that things are complex. There might still be things we can learn from those people. So Abram had this Sin and yet Paul points him out as the, an incredible example of faith. The same thing with David, who was a murderer. The Bible points him out as a man who is after God's own heart. Or the same thing with Noah, or with everyone else in the Bible. We see that even though they had these glaring faults, that they are still people that God is able to save, and people that have things that we can learn from, and emulate. That's not always the case, but we should be, not be quick to write people off because of their sin. Let's move on to verses 1 through 8 of chapter 18. A couple of quick comments, and then we'll spend the rest of our time on verses 9 through 15. Verses 1 through 8 of chapter 18 say this, And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. And as he sat by the door of his tent in the heat of the day, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread so that you may that you may refresh yourselves and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant so they said do as you have said and Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said quick three seeds of flour and knead it and make cakes and Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it down and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate." As I was thinking about this passage this week, I thought to myself, why is this part of the Bible here? We remember that all scripture is given by inspiration, that, nothing, that it's all profitable, that it's there for a reason. Nothing is there as filler. God doesn't just put filler in the Bible to get us from point A to point B. Right, So why would he include this? And I think a couple of points stand out from this. One, it just shows the hospitality that Abraham has, that hospitality is not just something we do to be nice or be a good host. It, hospitality here is something that honors the Lord, these three men. One is the Lord, and then we'll find out the other two are angels. But Abraham sees that, and he, he is serving them to honor them, to honor him as the Lord and the same thing with Sarah whenever we it's easy to see how Abraham being hospitable was honoring to the Lord cuz this was the Lord but we know from the new testament from Matthew that even even giving a cup of cold water to a disciple in the name of the Lord that is honoring to the Lord and so we can see that connection that whenever we're hospitable that that's a way that we honor the Lord as Abraham does here And it's also really a great picture of Sarah and Abraham's relationship and how they are complementing each other in serving the Lord. Peter quotes this passage when he talks about Sarah submitting to Abraham. Abraham came in, he was seeking to honor the Lord, and he told Sarah, hey, this is what we need to do, and this is what Sarah did. This is what submission and leadership looks like, ideally, in a husband and wife relationship. It's it's helping each other. It's the husband leading in order to honor the Lord. It's the wife following and wanting to honor the Lord alongside the husband. This is what this passage really gives us a picture into that day-to-day life, that goal of relationships, the complementarity between husband and wife and how they can honor the Lord together. And finally, in verses 9 through Fifteen. We come back around the second time to the promise of the child. And so let's read that together. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, "She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son." But Sarah denied it, saying, "I did not laugh, for she was afraid." He said, "No, but you did laugh." It's a great uh, see the Lord calling out Sarah on her uh, on her trying to cover up there. But as Sarah, like Abraham, they both laugh in this disbelief, right, at the promise that God is going to provide. A child, but God here makes this incredible statement, this axiom that is is a statement that is true. It was true then, it's always true, always will be true, that nothing is too difficult for the Lord. That's what God says here in response to the doubts of Sarah and really in the response to the doubt of Abraham as well. Nothing is too difficult for God. God can bring life from Abraham and Sarah in a situation that seemed impossible. Hebrews, when it talks about Abraham and Sarah, it it speaks of them as being as good as dead uh, because there was no way that they could reproduce themselves. And here God shows that, no, nothing is impossible. Even from something seemingly dead, God can bring life. This is the pattern that God shows throughout the Bible, that nothing is too difficult for him, that he can bring life from death. This is the pattern throughout the Bible. We see it in the impossible, seemingly impossible situation between Elizabeth and Zechariah in the New Testament, when God promises John the Baptist will be born, and yet God gives them a child. Nothing is too difficult for god it's the impossible seemingly impossible that god will give the promised son to the virgin mary and yet nothing is too difficult for god he brings his only begotten son into the world it's it seems impossible that god could raise lazarus from the dead that he could bring literal life from death, and yet we see that. And even more so, it seemed impossible that Jesus could rise from the dead, and yet he did. Nothing is too difficult for God. The Bible describes all people as dead in trespasses, in Ephesians chapter 1, as being dead, dead in sin. But God continuing the pattern, is able to make life, is able to make us alive together with him, even though we were as good as dead, as impossible as it was for Abraham and Sarah to have a child on their own. That's how impossible it was for us to be saved, for us to know God. And yet, nothing is too difficult for God, for his divine power. He is able to unite us to himself, to take a sinful, cold heart and make it alive again. And if you are a Christian, that is what God has done for you through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It was impossible without God. But with God, nothing is too difficult for him. Nothing is impossible with God. If you're not a Christian, that's what God does for you when you come to Him, and He offers that to everyone who would come to Him and believe. This is the only way. It is impossible. Abraham and Sarah were not out of their minds when they thought it was impossible. It is impossible without God, but with God, it is possible. Throughout the Bible, we see this idea, and even at the end, after we have passed away, or the people who have already passed away. We know that in the end, God will bring life to their mortal bodies, that the dead in Christ will rise, and we will be given new eternal life with him. And that is the promise that God gives. That is the promise that He gave to Abraham and Sarah with the promised child. That's the promise that he gives to every believer, that God is the only one who can bring the promised child, Isaac, into the world. He's the only one who was able to bring the promised child, Jesus, into the world. And now God promises to bring into existence other children of promise, just like Isaac and Jesus, only God is able to bring these children into existence. And that's what God says in Galatians 3. He calls Christians children of promise. So that now, just like Isaac was brought to life, just like Jesus was brought to life seemingly out of impossible situations, so also Christians, in no other way possible but through the work of God, are made alive together With him. This is the promise theme that runs through the Bible. We see it repeated. We see the fullness in Jesus, and it's something that we are a part of now because of what Jesus has done. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, we thank you for the promise, for the promised child that you had a plan to work through Isaac and that you were able to bring it about, that nothing was too difficult for you, even in impossible, literally impossible situations, you are still able to bring life from death. God, we thank you that you have done that in us who are Christians. God, may we remember more and more how amazing it is that you have saved us, that you have given us life. Help us to remember that we have life, to live as though we have life with you. May we use this time to praise you and respond to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. There's much for us to digest from this morning. There's a lot in those passages. Just like God has said much to us, use this time to respond to him. Uh, If you need to respond by talking about what it means to be made alive with Jesus, Um, you can use this time. I'll be over here. You can come talk to me about that if you want to use this time as a time to uh, join the church or use it as a time to respond in prayer or sing praise to God. Let's just respond to God this morning during this time together. Lord for your miracles, correct?